You are listening to the Jewel City Podcast. In this podcast, we are coming together for Autumn Revival 2021. Our special guest today is Pastor Dave Marsh from Crossroads Church. Well, hey, y'all. How are you doing? Do you got a little bit left in you? What a week it has been. It has just been tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. And I just want to say I am so blessed to be here. Uh, my wife and I, we love this church. Uh, we love your pastor. We love his family. We, love, we even love your staff. You guys are blessed with a great staff. You really are. Can you say amen to that? We also have Pastor Jerry Merle and his wonderful wife, Tammy, with us tonight. Say hello to them. I am, I'm about as... I'm about as nervous as I can be preaching in front of these two guys. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm as nervous as, as Bill Clinton at a marriage conference. I'm telling you, I am just, I, it's just a joke. Say it's just a joke. Just tell your neighbor it's just a joke. Uh, but I am. I see Pastor Josh uh, Morgan is back there. He actually told me that joke coming in. Thank you, brother, for that joke. I appreciate that. <laughs> Hey, uh, this week has taken a lot of hard work by the staff and dozens and dozens of volunteers from the parking lot to the tech team, greeters, ushers, worship team, choir. Can we give them just a big hand clap of appreciation tonight? I've been extremely blessed and refreshed to be here. Thank you for the hospitality. When we got to the hotel yesterday, there were two big baskets uh, there laying on the bed. Our daughter thought she was at Disney World. Uh, she was happy that her brothers and sisters didn't come because that means everything in that basket goes to her. Uh, but uh, we're just very, very blessed to be here. All right. You got one more in you? All right, before we get started, let's give Jesus one more big shout of praise. A few weeks ago, I was reading the Old Testament, and I got to Joshua chapter 1, and I began reading with verse 1. In fact, that's where I want to start tonight. If you will turn with me or follow along on the screen. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, as I read verse 2, I was stopped in my tracks for just a moment because God comes to Joshua and he just bluntly says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. This is a, it's unusual circumstance in the, in the first place because God himself is delivering a death announcement. And as I read it, it just felt like maybe God was being too direct. <laughs> like it just felt like he's not being compassionate enough when he delivers the news. I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you had to deliver the news to someone that their loved one has passed away. I had to do it a couple of years ago, and I'm telling you, it was the, one of the most difficult things. Pastor Reed, I had to look in a young man's eyes and tell them that his father had passed away. To this day, I look back on that moment, I think, I don't know if I handled that right. It, it weighs on me. It's, it's heavy. But it almost seems like God just comes so direct and just so blunt, and, and he just says, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now remember, Joshua had served Moses for 40 years. 
He was his right-hand man. They had shared some incredible experiences together. Joshua saw the hardships, but he also saw the miracles. And there were encounters between God and Moses that only Joshua got to witness. To say that Joshua and Moses shared a special relationship is an understatement, yet God comes to him and just very, just very directly, hey, Josh, Moses is dead. Everyone say that with me. Say, Moses is dead. Hey, if you're joining us online tonight, just type in the chat, Moses is dead. Come on, you need to participate too. Moses is dead. This death announcement just seems direct. It seems harsh, but we know God is good, Right? We know God is full of compassion, so there must be more to the story. And in fact, there is. To truly understand what God is doing in Joshua 1, we have to rewind. Everybody say rewind. We got to rewind to the previous book. And in my Bible, if I just turn one page backward, I'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34 will help us understand why God is so direct in Joshua chapter 1. So let's go there. Deuteronomy 34, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all, Af- uh, all Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. The south in the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I have caused you, Moses, to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Now, friends, it's important for us to understand that at this point, God is talking to Moses about a 500-year-old promise. You see, Moses is on the mountaintop, and he is uh, overlooking a promise made to Abraham 500 years earlier, but the promise has not yet come to pass. But here's the deal. Just because it hasn't come to pass does not mean that God has deleted it from his calendar. And I just want to remind somebody this evening on this sixth night of revival that just because you have not seen the fulfillment of God's promise yet does not mean he has deleted your promise from his calendar. It is still there. God is still faithful. Don't you give up on the promise of God. you got to plant your feet firmly on the rock of his word and keep walking with him until your faith becomes sight. I wish somebody who knows God is faithful would give him a shout out of praise tonight it's still there (laughs) tell somebody it's still there (laughs) God takes Moses up on the mountain he lets him see the promised land he says Moses you're not going in you're not going in now we could speculate or speculate here all night long if we wanted to about why he spent all these years leading Israel to the promised land but can't go in There are a variety of reasons. There was some disobedience. And numerous times in Moses' frustration, he's just said, God, I'm done with these people. (laughs) Anyone ever been there? (laughs) So look what happens in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him. God buried him. That's what the text says. 
And he, God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows. Say no one knows. No one knows his grave to this day. Now, this is just fascinating to me for a number of reasons. God takes him on the mountain. He shows him the promised land. He lets him see it. He tells him he's not going in. And then scripture says Moses died right there. How? What what did he die of? (laughs) I knew knew someone was going to say that. Was he sick? Was Was he weak? Well, look at the next verse. Look at verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Okay, the brother was old. But was he sick? No. Look at the scripture. He's 120 years old, but his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Now, listen, I don't watch too much TV, but when I do, I love to watch true crime shows. I like to watch Forensic Files or the first 48 hours. Anybody watch those? Look at all you heathens watching that. <laughs> I love to watch those shows. Our son is a police officer, and that, that intrigues us, you know. And, and so, so we watch these shows, and the first question the cops have, when they show up, there's been a murder, when there's been a death, they say, how did this person die? We want to know the cause of death. Well, in Moses' case, he was old, but he wasn't sick. The guy was 120 with perfect eyesight. I'm 47, and I can't drive without glasses. It says he wasn't weak. His natural strength was not diminished. Pastor Robert, he was 120, but he could have whipped any of your security guys. I've seen him. (laughs) It's a joke, guys. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. So how did he die? Friends, I submit to you that Moses was not diminished, but he was done. He didn't die because his body gave out. He died because his season was over. Now listen, I love life. God has been good to me. He's blessed me with a wonderful wife and kids and grandkids and a wonderful church and and you. He's blessed me with you. I love life. But when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. When it's your time to go, it's your time to go. We had a church member pass away this week. And I'd visited her a few, uh, a few days early, earlier than that. And, and I said, uh, Sister Arlene, what are we praying for? She said, well, Pastor, she said, I'd love to have a miracle. But if God doesn't give me a miracle and he takes me home, I'm ready to go. A few days later on Sunday morning, just before we're getting ready to start our second service, I get a text that said Arlene was in the hospital singing Amazing Grace, true story, when she got to the verse that says, the Lord has promised good to me. Bam, God took her home. Can you imagine that? But what a way to go. She was, she was leading a worship service in her hospital room, got to the Lord has promised good to me, and God said, oh, yes, I have, and he took her home. When it's your time to be done, you can be done and you can be satisfied. But our problem in the text tonight is the response of the children of Israel. Look at verse 8. It says, and the children of Israel wept, For Moses in the plains of Moab, 30 days. Everyone say 30 days. So that the days of weeping and mourning for Moses had ended. Now, this is important because the custom of the day is that they would have been grieving for seven days. But in this case, day eight comes and they're still crying. 
Day 10 comes, and all you hear are sounds of weeping. Day 14 rolls around, and they're still sitting there passing the Kleenex. Day 21 comes, and across the plains of Moab, all you hear is the sound of weeping. That's a problem. Because God has a calendar. God has made a promise to these people. God has a plan for them. God has a vision for them. They are the generation that's supposed to walk into the fulfillment of a 500-year-old promise. But in this moment, they ain't walking. They're weeping. Now listen, it's not that God's not compassionate. He gave them some time to grieve, but 30 days has passed and they are still sitting there while the promise waits for them. They are no longer waiting on the promise. The promise is waiting on them. Oh, if I had some time, I would preach a little bit on that tonight. You see, oftentimes we think we are waiting on the promise when the promise is actually waiting on us. God is waiting for us to be fully formed in our character so he can release the promise on us. Because here's what you have to know about the blessing of God. It's awesome, but it's weighty. And if you don't have the character to handle the blessing, it will crush you. And so God is sitting around and he's, he's saying, guys, are you ready? I've been working on this for 500 years. And instead of getting up and walking, they are sitting there weeping. Oftentimes, we're not waiting on the promise. The promise is waiting on us. Verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him, as did the Lord, uh, as did the Lord had commanded Moses. Some might say, well, listen, they ain't walking because they don't have a leader. But that's not true. God has given them a leader. He's been in preparation for 40 years, and the same spirit that was upon Moses is now upon Joshua, and they are good to go, but they ain't walking, they're weeping. Friends, I know I've taken a while to get here, but I wanted to lay the foundation so when I say what I say, you understand why I say it. Some of us need to stop weeping and start walking. There is a place for weeping. We talked about that last night. We've cried a lot of good, healthy tears here this week, haven't we? We have. It's been good. It's been cleansing. It's been refreshing. I believe there's been some healing there, but we got to be careful that we don't weep too long. Because some of us have sacrificed our promise on the altar of our past, and God is saying that our season of weeping is over. It's time to put down the box of tissues, pick up our families, and start walking into the promised land. Come on, just turn to somebody and say, Start walking. You got to start walking. There's a time to cry. <laughs> And we've had it, but there's a time to walk into the promise that God has for us. As I was praying about what message I might bring to you tonight, I believe the Lord has been showing me just how much of our lives is spent in the past tense. In the past tense. Come on, let's be real. See, here's the the thing about a good church. You guys are a good church. I love this church. And we know how to have church 
Like, you know when to say amen. You know when to say hallelujah. You know when to clap. You know, I mean, we were worshiping here tonight. We hit, look what the Lord has done. I'm doing my best as a chubby white guy to dance. And my watch says, I got an Apple watch to track my calories and stuff. My watch says, it looks like you're doing an elliptical workout. Should I record it? I said, heck yeah, I want, I want credit for every calorie, baby. I, I burned off 148 calories during worship tonight. You, I mean, that's the kind of church. You guys are a calorie-burning church. Come on, somebody say amen. But here's the problem with knowing how to do church. Sometimes we just do it. And we're not honest with ourselves, and we're not honest with God. And so tonight, just before we shout and, and, and dance and have our good time, and that's, it's all awesome. But can we just be honest with ourselves and say, how much of our lives do we live in the past tense? I do some counseling. I'm not very good at it. I know Pastor Robert isn't either. <laughs> Admit it, quit it, and forget it. That's three steps that Robert Shingleton... But every time, I mean, just about every time you sit down to counsel somebody, they say, Pastor, I'm really struggling because when I was eight, this happened. But you're 38 now. Pastor, I'm having a hard time because I was divorced 10 years ago. I know divorce is hard. It's the ripping apart of, of, of you know, one flesh is, is ripped apart. It's a violent act on the altar of God. I know that's hard. But, but sister, it was, it was 10 years ago. Pastor, can we talk? I was hurt in church 14 years ago, and I just, I just, you know, I just can't re-engage. Four, did you say 14 years ago? It was, four, it was 14 years ago. Listen, I get it. I got a good memory. I really do. And sometimes that's a blessing. Like when me and my wife are, are having what we would call at our house an intense moment of fellowship. You might call it a fight, but me and her, we have intense moments. You thought I was talking about something else. No, it's a fight, an intense moment of fellowship. And, and, and I, I got a good memory, so I can bring stuff up that she did wrong 10 years ago and use it on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sure, I sure. <laughs> but you know what? That, that good memory becomes, uh, becomes a curse sometimes. Because I can find myself... Dwelling on things that happened to me when I was six years old. Anyone ever find your mind drifting backwards? <laughs> All the time. What is up with that? Like, it's crazy. But this week, I was thinking about a memory I have from first grade that still haunts me to this day. I said, Pastor, what is it? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> it was a Friday and I was in first grade at St. Peter and Paul Catholic School in Monongah, West Virginia. Anybody, any other alumni here from the Catholic school? Oh, right there. I didn't know you were there. First grade, it was a Friday. Sister Peter Marie was my teacher that year. We had nuns who were teachers. She was, she, she was, she was a big lady. Okay, and I mean, she had a big heart. I mean, that's what she had. she had a big heart. And this is what she said, Pastor Robert. She, they were very, the Catholic school is a great school down there. All right, but they took care of stuff and they were sticklers to have a cover on your book. 
And she said, on Friday, she said, listen, if you come back here Monday and you don't have your books covered, she'd been telling us a couple weeks, you don't have your books covered. She said, anyone who doesn't have their book covered is going to get a whipping. Well, listen, I know what, I know what in rocket science, but I was only six. I didn't know how to do it. And you could buy fancy book covers, but, but back in the day, most people just took a brown paper grocery bag before the tree huggers said they were illegal. And, and we would make, we would make our own book covers. How many did that? <laughs> I know. Take a good look around. I ain't coming back. I know. I know. Well, again, it wasn't rocket science, but I didn't know how to do it. So I went home that evening and I had older brothers and sisters and, and I said, I said, listen, I said, can somebody help me make a, a book cover? And they said, yeah, yeah, we got all weekend. We'll get it done. Well, Saturday morning comes and we hadn't done a book cover yet. I go in, I wake up my older brother. I said, hey, hey, Chad. I said, could you, could you help me make that book cover? Now he says, David, he always called me David. He said, David, leave me alone. It's Saturday. I'm trying to sleep in. We'll do it later. You got plenty of time. I said, okay. So I go in the living room watching some cartoons, eating a bowl of cereal. And then a little while later, my sister wakes up. She's stirring. I go in. I said, Missy, I said, could you help me cover my book? If I don't cover my book by Monday, I won't get a whipping. And some of you are all like saying, whipping? They used to whip people in school? Yeah. Yeah, you would get every teacher in that school had a whipping and you would get a whipping. But guess what else? We didn't have school shootings and we didn't have boys and girls bathrooms either. Somebody say, move on, preacher. <laughs> All right. And so Saturday night comes. I said, Missy, can we cover this book? She says, you know I'm in here listening to my record collection tonight. We'll do it tomorrow. So I go back in the living room, watch wrestling. And you know what? She's in there blaring the Bee Gees, staying alive. And I'm sitting out there thinking, I'm going to die on Monday. And she's listening to staying alive tonight. I'm telling you, I had severe anxiety all weekend. Nobody helped me cover that book. Yeah. You should give me a really big love offering. They feel really bad for me. So Monday I go to school, and I'm just praying she forgot about it. I'm praying she doesn't come near my desk. All day long I'm in fear and trembling, thinking she's just going to come and see that I don't have my book covered, and she's going she's gonna to whip me. Well... End of the story. <laughs> they, she didn't whip me, thank God. Uh, but she had, she had somebody there, and they helped me cover my book. But, friends, I'm 47 years old. I got six kids, five grandkids. Sister Peter Marie is dead, but she still scares me. <laughs> right? The book cover saga of 1980 still causes me anxiety in 2021. Now, I know some of you are sitting there right now, and you are judging me hard. But let me ask you, how much of your life is spent living in your past? Some of you, you were divorced 20 years ago, but you keep telling the story like it happened yesterday. And in your mind, it did because you relive it every single day. Some of you got fired Five years ago from a job and every job interview you go to now, you lead off by telling the story how your old job done you dirty. Do you think someone wants to hire you, Mrs. Bittersworth? <laughs> no, 
If that's what you lead with, no. Some of us failed in business 10 years ago, but it's all you think about. The failure has become part of your identity and you are cursing your future because you cannot stop thinking about your past. God had made a promise to the children of Israel that was 500 years in the making. But as long as they were grieving their past, they could never walk into their future. That's why God comes to Joshua and delivers what seems to be this harsh death notice. And God says, Josh, Moses is dead. Somebody say Moses is dead. dead. See, here's the deal. It wasn't actually news to Joshua. It wasn't news. It wasn't an announcement. He's been dead 30 days. Joshua knows that. But Joshua is still sitting there and he's the leader. And look at Joshua 1 verse 2 again. Moses, my servant, is dead now. Everyone say now. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. God says, Joshua, enough is enough. I love Moses too, but it's time for you to arise and go to your promise. Church, I'm not belittling the pain that any of us has walked through, but I'm questioning its right to be so powerful that it destroys our future. Why? Why do we give so much power to our past? Why do we give so many of our todays to our yesterdays? Why do we give up so much of our lives for dead things? God says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now get up and lead these people into my promise. Friends, when you and I constantly grieve things in our lives that didn't work out, We replay the film over and over and over again. Things that didn't go our way. Disappointments and hurts. And again, I'm not minimizing any of those things. But how long can we live there? It's like giving ourselves to dead things. And listen. God was so serious about Israel not staying in a place of grief. Not staying in their past. Look what he did. Let's look back at Deuteronomy 34 and verse 6. We read it, but I want to bring it out again. It says, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. God took Moses' spirit and then he hid the body. It sounds like a crime show, doesn't it? Like God hid the body. Why? Now, if this isn't fascinating enough, I'll tell you, the word of God is so awesome. If this isn't fascinating enough, we could turn over to the New Testament in the book of Jude. And Jude actually talks about this incident. And he says, I've I've read this scripture for 20 years. Why is that even in there? And I didn't understand it until I'm digging around in Joshua and digging around in in, in Deuteronomy and kind of understanding what God was doing here. Jude talks, New Testament talks about this, and he says it it wasn't just God and Moses present when Moses died. He says there were two angels there. In Jude 1 and verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now I want you to picture this for a moment. God takes... Moses' spirit and his body is just laying there. The enemy comes and grabs him by the feet. 
Michael, the archangel, comes and grabs him by the hand. And Michael is tugging this way, and Satan is tugging this way, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And I don't mean to be irreverent to Moses or to the dead, but friends, that's funny. Right? They're fighting over seemingly what is just a dead body. But can I tell you tonight, they ain't fighting over a dead body. Do you know why Satan came? Do you know why he wanted the body of Moses? You know what they're fighting over? They are fighting over Israel's future. They're not fighting over a dead body. They're fighting over Israel's future because Satan's plan was he's going to take that body. He's going to lay it out for the children of Israel, and he's going to make God a liar because God said you're going to the promised land, but Satan knows if he can lay that body out there and their hero of the faith is laid out there, the children of Israel would have, would have just surrounded him and grieved until there was nothing left. They would have stayed a prisoner of the past for the rest of their lives. And so he's pulling, and Michael the archangel, he's pulling, and back and forth, and finally Michael the archangel says, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And in that moment, Satan had to turn loose, he had to run, he had to flee, and the promise of God was on its way to being fulfilled. Here's the deal. Satan will fight with us over our past. So he can sabotage our future. And so when you're sitting there and you're replaying that film, he's the one that when you get to the end of it, he hits rewind so you can play it again. He is a partner in this thing with you. Listen, God does not want his people to live in a graveyard. He wants us to live in a promised land. Let's be honest. How much of our time is spent thinking about our past? In January, January 6th was my birthday. Got two things in January for my birthday on that day. Got COVID. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. And we got a dog, Max. Nine-pound miniature poodle who has taken over our lives. I used to make fun of Pastor Robert. And then we got a dog. And I melted. I mean, this dog. He loves me. I love him. I miss him. We've been gone for two days. I can't wait to get home. We used to want to see the kids. No, I want to see Max. (laughs) But we got a neighbor pretty close to us, so we can't really let Max run free. And so... Uh, he's on a leash all the time. Sometimes we take him to a dog park. Uh, but this summer we were out over at my son's house and my son kind of lives in the woods and he's got a pretty big yard. And so I said, well, I can let Max run free. And so we let Max run free and Max is having a great time. He's like, freedom. He's nine pounds. He's running everywhere. He's going crazy. And then I notice over another part of the yard, Max stops, turns on his back and he is flopping around. He is rolling around. I said, what is he going to do? Is he going to eat something? And I go over there and Max had found a dead chipmunk. And for some reason, I don't understand, probably the enemy, demon possessed for just a moment, turn that dog over. He's never done this before. Turn that dog over on his back. And he rolls around on that that dead chipmunk. 
And so I said, come on, Max. I pick up Max, and I'm going to tell you something. You have never smelled something so putrid in all of your life. That dog stunk so bad. I handed him to Mariah. That's my youngest daughter. I handed him to Mariah. I said, take this dog. She said, Dad, I don't want that dog. Usually when we're driving, he'll sit right on my lap while we're driving, or one of them will hold him. We had to put him in the back of the SUV and make it so he couldn't get up to us because he stunk so bad. And we're driving home as fast as we can so we can give him a bath, and he's back there. He's back there yelping. He wants to be. He doesn't understand. He's a dog. He doesn't even know that he stinks. But can I tell you the reason that Max stinks is because he was messing around with dead stuff. Now, listen, I know I'm not the pastor here. I know I'm a guest, but I've been around here long enough that I think I can just talk real honest to you. Some, one of the reasons that some of y'all's life stinks is because you keep playing around with dead stuff. This has been a beautiful week. It really has. And I could see a natural progression. Our brother Isaac, I think it was the first message he preached. He, started, he was talking about dead stuff. He's talking about bones coming, coming back to life and all that. Here we are, we're talking about it again. I believe God has walked us through a progression. He's done some healing among us. But until we can let go, of the past, we will never walk into the promise. And so why don't we do this? Carrie, are you around somewhere? Can you come to the piano? I'm going to ask everybody to stand up, if you can. If you need to keep your seat, you keep your seat. But what is God asking you to stop touching? He's so serious about this. He hides the body so nobody can find it. He does not want the children of Israel camped out around this dead body, which didn't just represent a man. It, it represented everything about their past. What is God asking you to stop touching? Is it guilt? Shame? Regret, pain, failure? Is it a relationship you keep going back to? Is it a dream? Is it a sin? Is it embarrassment? I don't know what it is, but you do. As long as we stay in our place of weeping, we'll never start walking. Now, this week of revival, I don't believe, was just a week of good services. They've been great services. But I believe God put this week on your heart. That's why you went to all this trouble and expense and work and all that. I believe this week is significant. I think it's a big deal when people gather and give of your time and give of your resources and you come night after night after night after night. I believe that gets God's attention. It shows him that hunger that some of the, some of the preachers had talked about this week. I believe it represents the end of one season and the beginning of a new one for your life and for this church. And here's what I know about God. He almost always asks us to let go of something old 
before he gives us something new. I know many of you have walked this aisle perhaps maybe six times this week. If you came down here every service, that'd be six times. Well, tonight's the seventh. I'm going to ask you to walk the aisle one more time. If you're you're comfortable now, if you don't want to be in a crowd, that's okay. It's all right. You stay where you're at. But if you're okay with it, because here's what I want to do. We're going to put a prayer on the screen. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I believe it's going to be a holy moment. Would you just come down? Would you walk the aisle? Would you come down? Would you gather around the front? I've asked our tech team to put this prayer on the screen so we can pray it together. There's nothing revolutionary about this prayer unless you mean it. Right? So we said, we know how to do church. We know how to shout. We know how to dance. We know how to make our watches go off. We know all that. But there's no real power unless we're honest. Honesty brings intimacy. The woman with the issue of blood Great story, great sermon, great message, right? But even after she touches the hem of his garment, the Bible says something interesting. She falls to her knees and it says she told him her whole story. There was a cleansing that happened when she was honest with Jesus. So let's take 30 seconds and let's think about the thing (laughs) that we just seem like we could never get over And then we're going to pray a prayer once and for all to lay it at the foot of the cross. I want to pray this together. I'm looking for it. I'm still looking for it. Say, Father God, we thank you for this week. We thank you for your presence and your promises. Tonight, we let go of dead things. We let go of anything in our past that hinders us. All shame, all fear, all regret, all sin, all failure, we lay it at the feet of Jesus. We refuse to sacrifice our future And Lord, we choose to follow you into the next season of our lives. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift your hands. The Bible is clear that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. It says that we are to be continually filled and refilled. So I want you to pray this. from the bottom of your heart and mean it. I believe God's going to touch us. Say, Lord Jesus, fill me now with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Come on, ask him again. Say, fill me now with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. 
And God, I pray over this church where there's been fear, may it be broken tonight, may it be replaced with courage. I pray, God, where there's been intimidation, let it fall off, God. I pray where the enemy has been fighting with our future, and here we are, we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I pray tonight, Lord Jesus, that you would say, the Lord rebuke you, and the enemy would flee and set us free. Come on, if you believe it, give him praise tonight. You're worthy and you're good, God. Fill your church afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks and we give you praise. Let's sing a little more. Thanks for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Share it with your friends. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe on YouTube.